this letter and Philemon were written at the same time and probably delivered by the same folks, Tychicus and Onesimus. And doesn't surprise me, Paul would want to write to the church as well as writing to Philemon individually. Don't know which letter he penned first. Doesn't really matter if they're sent at the same time. I suspect Ephesians was also written and delivered at the same time. So, there's not a lot we know about Colossians other than the stuff that's in here. Really nothing other than what's in here. Uh, what we learned from this makes us understand that Paul didn't actually like know personally the brethren as a whole. He'd never been in Colossae. He hadn't preached there. But Epaphras <coughs> had taken Paul's gospel to Colossae. You know, we know that Paul was in Ephesus for like three years in Acts 19 and that all Asia heard the word of the Lord in Acts 19.10. So I'm guessing it was while he was there that the, the gospel was spread to Colossae and these brethren were converted. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So, uh, 13 New Testament books start with the same word, Paul. (laughs) And he's an apostle of Christ, so, you know, he's got authority. You know, this is, uh, you know, you you would not ever read Colossians and say, uh, use the adjective feeble to describe it. You know, he writes with authority. He's got authority. He was made an apostle by who? By the will of God. Absolutely. You know, so he has God's uh, authority behind what he says. The false teachers in Colossae need a strong authoritative message. So he's writing uh, the letters written by him. Who else was helping him send the letter? Who is called a what? Our brother. Yeah, not an apostle, but a brother. Uh, so the two of them are sending the letter together. Who's he writing to? Saints. Saints. Um, that's hopeful. You know, he's kind of calling them what they are supposed to be. Uh, saints and and uh, faithful brethren in Christ Jesus. He wants them to be faithful. That is, loyal, committed, steadfast um, in, in Christ, who are at Colossae. Um, and he wishes for them grace and peace from, from God. Um, so, he, this is basically Paul, who's got the right to write, <laughs> writing to the brethren in the church at Colossae. Comments and questions? Alright, three to eight. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have had for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, as it constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So, Paul thanks God for these brethren, and he tells the Colossians that he is thanking God for them. 
we've done this before, but what letters does Paul not have a Thanksgiving section uh, somewhere around this point? Galatians, why doesn't he? Absolutely, there wasn't much to be thankful for among those brethren. I mean, that was really a shockingly terrible situation. There's another letter he doesn't really have a Thanksgiving section in. I'm going to guess 1 Corinthians. He does. Believe it or not, he does. (laughs) Of all the places you would think he wouldn't, he did. I was going to say the same thing. Did he by 2 Corinthians? (laughs) He's got a blessed begotten father, a similar kind of thing. It was the probably the other worst place he wrote to, but you won't get it from that. <coughs> They're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Titus. Titus. Those churches in Crete were not very good. <coughs> so, I think that's interesting that the two places he writes to that in many ways may have been the worst, I mean, what do you say have to be thankful for in those places. So, I mean, this is not just something Paul always, always writes. He's thankful when he can be, even in Corinth, of all things. You know, he finds something to be thankful for more than we might have done. Um, and, And often these Thanksgiving sections kind of telegraph things Paul will say later in the letter. So here, what, what kinds of things has he heard about them that makes him be thankful? Love. Yeah. And hope. Yeah, he's heard of their faith and their love that's based on their hope. Those are two critical issues, the faith and love. I mean, no wonder Paul's thankful, you know, uh, because that's kind of the foundation for Christian life. And, and it's interesting, Paul didn't know them personally, but from the time he heard they were doing well in their faith and love, he starts thanking God for them. For Paul... Learning about other people's doing well in the faith increases his burden of thanksgiving. You know, when Paul hears about others, he starts praying about them, too. You know, that's that's really amazing and encouraging. Now, why are they growing in their faith and love? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That's exactly right. Our faith and love is built on our hope. It's based on our hope. The hope motivates us to have faith and love. If we didn't have hope, why bother having faith or love? Sometimes we don't think enough about hope. But really our hope is is what gives us energy. It's what, you know, moves us to believe and love. So you got the trilogy here, the faith, the love, and the hope. You've got those trilogies, the faith, hope, and love, several passages in the New Testament. Um, now this hope, uh, what do we know about the hope? Where is it? Heaven. It's in heaven. We're talking not about some earthly hope, but our heavenly hope. How did they know about that hope? heard of it through the gospel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The gospel, which is the word of truth. Uh, So, they've heard about the hope from a very reliable source. The gospel is the word of truth. And, uh, 
He says, which has come to you, verse 6, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So really, the gospel's doing the same thing in Colossae that it's doing everywhere else. Progressing triumphantly. Uh, it's bearing fruit. It's increasing. It's, it's changing people's lives. It's reaching more people. Um, and and it's, it's been doing that in the Colossians since what point? Since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Yes, that's exactly right. So it's been active in the Colossians from the time they heard it and understood it. You know, the gospel's going to work on us. It's going to transform us. And, and this, this grace of God they learn in truth, they learn from who? Epaphras. You know, and what do we know about Epaphras here? Yeah, he's beloved fellow bondservant and faithful servant of Christ. So those things say he is a really reliable, faithful, good brother. You got the message from a good source. You can count on the things that Epaphras taught you. He is giving his endorsement of Epaphras. Besides Epaphras bringing the gospel to the Colossians, what other message is Epaphras transmitted? He told Paul of the Colossians' love. Exactly. He was the source of Paul hearing about how the Colossians were doing. Exactly right. Um, and he told us of your love in, in the Spirit. Um, so I want you to think for a moment, just kind of uh, separating this out a second. Things that you can see are characteristics of the gospel. You know, if it's really the gospel, what should we see as characteristics of it? It comes from a reliable source. All right, it comes from a reliable source. It bears fruit. It bears fruit and increases. It's the truth. Now, think about false teaching. Because Colossians is going to say a lot about false teachings. Do the false teachings, are, do they triumph all over the world? I mean, does this, is this false teaching universal? Does it bear fruit in people's lives? Is it God's truth? The false teachers aren't like this. And so, this gives you something to kind of test the false teaching by. Uh, it's not really uh, it's not really the truth but what they got from Epaphras you know was it was just it was the very gospel that's spreading everywhere else and transforming people's lives it's the God, the word of God in truth and so that's what they need to follow comments and questions what would you say to the other religions that have spread across the world and in some ways have improved people's lives, not fully, but it partially does follow this concept. How would you say that? I don't know. Well, ultimately, they're not God's truth, so they fail That's on true. that one. And, um, you know, sometimes the fruit that's born in people's lives 
is not very healthy fruit. It's not very good fruit, also. Uh, I think over time, you can see the tendency of false teaching to bear corrupt fruit. That doesn't always appear right at first. Sometimes it takes a while for it to manifest itself. All right. Other comments and questions through verse 8? Nine to fourteen. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, not only has Paul been thanking God since the day he heard of their love in the Spirit, what else has he been doing? Praying for them. Again, Paul must have just spent an awful lot of time praying. He didn't know these brethren. Never met them, but he was praying for them because Epaphras had told him about them. So that just speaks well of Paul. And and what is he praying for them? All kinds of things. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting that you would say that. Uh, all kinds of things. Had you noticed the all the alls in this? I hadn't, but that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look at it. In verse 9, in all spiritual wisdom, and all respects, verse 10, every good work. In verse 11, strengthened with all power, attaining of all steadfastness. You know, that's kind of a characteristic of this. He wants this in the nth degree. So, uh, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. I mean, that's where this starts. we got to know God's will. And it's... It, it, now, now think about it. He doesn't just say he prays that they know his will. What does he pray for? The knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's not what I'm looking for, but yeah, you're right. Be filled with the knowledge. Be filled with the knowledge. Now, what's the difference between saying, pray that you know his will, and I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will? I know a little Greek, but I can't speak to one. <laughs> okay. If you're, you could know a lot of stuff, but if you're filled with that knowledge, what's it going to do? Come out. In in what areas? In everything. You know, if you know it, then you're going to do well on a test. If you're filled with the knowledge, it affects your heart, it affects your will, it affects your emotions, you know, it affects your purposes and plans, because you're filled with the knowledge of his will. You've got the knowledge of his will all through you. You know, sometimes we just have this kind of intellectual thing. Oh, I know it. I can quote the book after in verse. You know, you give me a test, I can say the book of the Bible forward, backwards, and inside out, you know, and whatever. But are we filled with it? Is it really pervading us? Well, if we're filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual, I'll know that they all, in all spiritual wisdom, 
and understanding, uh, that leads us to do what in verse 2? Exactly. The end of all knowledge is, is conduct. It's never that you you filled with the knowledge of his will so you can ace the test. No, you're filled with the knowledge of his will so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Notice, again, the all respects. To please him in everything, which is our highest desire. We almost, we, we want to anticipate God's most trivial wishes. In every way, we want to just please him and be exactly what he wants us to be. Now, how does that work? How do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects? Well, he names four things you can do to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What's the first thing in verse 10? Yes, bearing fruit in every good work. Um, notice we're not talking about bearing just one kind of fruit. But we want a diversity of fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work. You know, you can't just say, well, I've got a lot of fruit over here, that'll make up for my lack of fruit over there. God wants us to be fruitful across the board. Um, and <laughs> the next thing that this being filled with the knowledge of his will will do to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It leads us to learn more yet. So be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you will be increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, if you were filled with the knowledge of his will, why would you need to increase in that knowledge? Because there's always more than you can hold. Yeah, that's right. You need to uh, you know, expand the quarters and let more of his will come in, more of the knowledge come in. The goal, the, 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 the foundation and the goal is learning more. That's a key element. Um, strengthened. How does he want to strengthen? With all power. With all power. Now, what would the difference be being, being strengthened and being strengthened with all power? <coughs> It's like the difference between working out for the three weeks leading up to your annual physical and working out and being strong all the time, you know, six days a week or whatever. Yeah, I was fit just, for duty. Yeah, absolutely. I was just here the other day. Who was this that told me this? Just just a very few days ago. I didn't know they did this. There, this guy's brother, whoever I was talking to, has done at least one of these, maybe more. Did you know they did this? He did a mini marathon one day, like on a Saturday, and a full marathon the next day. <laughs> Whoa! Like, wow! That's really, you know, that's not just getting in shape. I mean, that's like infinitely in shape, or out of shape after you've done it. <clears throat> you know, uh, strengthened with all power. You know, we're not just talking about a little bit. But a whole, whole lot. Alright, so, you know, you really, really work out and you build yourself up and you just, you get everything tip-top and all that. Well, does anybody ever just work out so and get, get all that in shape for nothing? 
What do we need all this power for? What's he gonna? How are we gonna use this this strength and the all power we get? In fact, strength with all power according to his glorious might, which is saying that's kind of the measure. You know, strengthen with all power in in the measure of and in, in the proportion to his glorious might. So I mean, he said about everything he could to say. Strong, stronger, strongest, incredibly strong, strong according to God's strength for what? To be steadfast and patient? Yeah! Does that seem like kind of a letdown? You know, That's I would what ex- you expect. You, you expect so that you can go out and fight the vile horde and... and yes! You expect some sort of heroic act some sort of valiant deed, you know, you're strengthened with all power to go out here and, you know, stop a locomotive, you know, or whatever. Uh, He says, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So it seems like the goal is disproportionately small to the means. But the truth is, this is Sandra. Let me grab this right quick and make sure she doesn't need some. Hello. Hello. I'm in the Witsit study. Do you need something right now? That'll be fine. I don't know if she's stranded on the road. She's in... Uh, Southern Indiana today. So, um, so uh, you know, the thing of it is, persevering, keeping going, you know, through the ups and downs, through the frustrations and discouragements, that takes this kind of power. You know, not for spectacular miracles, but but for us to be able to endure through opposition. I mean, Man, isn't that the hardest thing? I mean, we, we might not have thought about it that way, but we need all the power and strength we can get just to keep going. This reminds me of something I was talking about yesterday. I need to write this passage to this brother. There's a brother in Brazil I was talking to, and he's doing much better. He was really doing badly, but he's doing way better. Uh, but, but I hadn't talked to him in a little while, maybe two weeks. And maybe even a little bit more than that in terms of just really talking to him. And so I was just worried about some things. So we arranged to talk. We talked for a good long time last night. And, you know, he said, my problem is, is just keeping going. I just get sort of down and discouraged, and I lose my energy, and I lose my eagerness, and I kind of lose my desire. And he hasn't done anything terrible. He said, I just, I just don't have the eagerness. I just, I just have these ups and downs. You know, for a while I really want to, and then I just kind of, I just don't really feel like it. I just, I just kind of, I don't do as well, and then I just don't feel like trying as hard, and then I just don't do as well, and I don't feel like trying as hard. Well, that's, you know, perseverance. You know, we would think, well, duh, you know, all that for that. No, that's really the key. That's what we need is keeping going, the strain of endurance. You know, so when God's granting us all this power, he's granting it to us for his purposes, not for ours. 
He wants us to hang in there and keep going in spite of opposition and discouragement and false teachers and persecution and whatever else comes along in life that tends to just sap us and zap us. So I think that's a great prayer. Uh, and then, then the final thing, you know, so really, walking in a matter worthy of the Lord involves bearing fruit in every good work, increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, uh, and giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the fourth element of a fruitful Christian life. We bear fruit... Um, our, I read this. This is this is kind of cool. Our hands bear fruit. Our minds increase in the knowledge of God. Our wills are strengthened, and our heart gives thanks. You know, we're always thanking God. Now, Colossians is going to help us with that because he's going to he's going to talk a lot about thanking God here. I think that's a forgotten virtue. We don't emphasize being grateful like we ought to, and yet that is key. We need to be giving thanks to the Father for what He's done. He's qualified us to share. In the, of the inheritance of the saints in light. When we are thankful, we are less vulnerable to temptation, to false doctrine and all that. But we lose our thankfulness, our gratitude. It, what, what do we put in place of gratitude a lot of times? If we're not grateful, what are we probably? Complaining? Complaining, exactly. We're either grateful or whiny. <coughs> we need to be grateful. Uh, because you think about what he's done. As he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. As he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, think about this. As, uh, you know, some daring act of bravery as Jesus went behind enemy lines, invaded Satan's territory, overcame him, and emancipated those who were enslaved by him, and and it gives us then the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, what Jesus did was to liberate us from the power of Satan that had us in bondage and overcoming us. So, there is a whole lot Paul says in his thanksgiving and prayer section before he ever comes to what he's talking about. Comments and thoughts through 14. In the thinking about in the context of Philemon, the book and Onesimus and what's happened to him, verse 13. You know, he's rescued us from the domain of darkness. Onesimus had been rescued from the domain of darkness. Um, yes. And in a very definite way. And so it's just keeping the story of Onesimus and Philemon in the back of your head when you're reading this. Like, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. That's a very good, good thought. Thinking about the steadfastness um, and patience. Um, we, we, we build up for something big and like it makes me think of Peter um, when the 600 men came against him the Roman cohort um, and Jesus he draws his sword and is ready to fight the 600 <laughs> but then when the slave woman comes up um, and, uh, slave girl and she asks these questions like, are you with Jesus and it's just a small almost under the radar kind of thing um, and more consistent and that's what gets to him Instead of the 600 men, that was a big opposition. And that, that's so much true that we need more strength for the smaller thing in a weird way than we need the strength for the big thing. Excellent point. 
another illustration of that mm-hmm. is First Samuel twenty four to twenty six. David won't touch the Lord's anointed, but he's ready to clock Nabal. You know, and everybody is with him. You know, it's like, well, I mean, Nabal was rude and ornery and a bunch of stuff like that. But, you know, nothing compared to what Saul was doing, chasing him all over the country, trying to kill him. And yet he was up to do the right thing with uh, David, not with Nabal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the wins on Mount Carmel and loses wherever he was, uh, Jezreel, I guess. No. So uh, we may we might ought to think even more about you know the strength it takes to persevere when we're not up for some big challenge. That steadiness of keeping going in the Lord that's a challenge. Anything else you've got to say through 14? 15 to 17? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, he goes into this section talking about the greatness of Jesus, and there's a lot of things he says here, things that we need to uh, think about. I mean, he just keeps talking about him in every way. First of all, he's the image of the invisible God. And what does that? What does it mean to say he's the image of the invisible God? At first, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I'm thinking of taking a picture of a vampire in a mirror. You, you, you can't get a picture of a... Vampires have no reflection, so, you know, you can't see, you can't have an image of something that's invisible. Yeah. That's where it doesn't make sense. Didn't they have that issue when they were, like, leaving Egypt or something, and, like, how they couldn't see God? Or was that, or is that just what you say about why they wanted the golden calf? Because, like, it wasn't very tangible, but, like, we... Oh. So it's what we look at, kind of. Yes. So what is that saying about Jesus? He lets us see God. Absolutely. He visibilizes God, if that was a word. You know, God is invisible. We can't see him. But Jesus is what we can see. You know, he manifests God. He makes him visible to us. Wouldn't you love to see God? Look at Jesus. He is a way of seeing God, seeing the invisible God. That's pretty cool. Um, And, you know, is, is Jesus the only image of the invisible God? Holy Spirit, maybe. Us. Us. Why would you say that? We are in God's image. Yes, what we created in God's image. Isn't that what it says? After our image, according to our likeness, in Genesis chapter 1. 
But what happened? Man kind of defaced the image of God, didn't he? By his sin. And look at chapter 3, verse 10 here. We've put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We kind of renew ourselves in being in the image of God. Um, think about this then. I, I want to, you know, I, th- I think there's something to this. Um, think about Jesus versus Adam. Adam was created in the image of God. Jesus is in the image of God. Adam wanted to be like God. Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be clung to. Adam sought to exalt himself. Jesus sought to humble himself. Adam disobeyed. Jesus obeyed. So Adam lost, to a great extent, this image of God for man. Jesus restores us into the image of God. So, you know, Adam should have been someone that really manifested God's nature and character. But he lost that. Jesus regains it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the one who can manifest God's nature. He is the firstborn of all creation. That is, he's the one above all creation. He's the one who is the Lord of all creation. Doesn't mean he's the first one created, because verse 16 says, everything was created in him, by him, and for him. Including, not just things here on the earth, but things in the heavens, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, even all the celestial beings, all the spirit beings, all of those were created by him, verse part of 16, and uh, through him and for him. So, he was the source of the creation. You know, it's by him. You know, he was the (coughs) instrument of the creation. It was through him. And he's the goal of creation. It was for him. So, Jesus couldn't be a created being unless he created himself. If everything was created through him. So, when it says he was the firstborn of all creation, it means he's the preeminent one over creation. Not that he was the first one born. Could it also have to do with him inheriting all creation? So he does. He is the one through whom it comes, and he is the heir. He's it's for him. Mm-hmm. He is before all things, both in time and in position, and in him all things hold together. It's because of Jesus that we have a cosmos, not a chaos. You know... Uh, without Jesus, the electrons wouldn't keep circling the nuclei, and planets, w- planets wouldn't stay in their orbits, and gravity wouldn't keep us down here on the planet, and all that. Jesus keeps everything functioning. All right, comments and questions. There were 17. All right, we'll stop here for now, and I'm going to plan on coming next week, but if I really get behind, I'll cancel it. Because it's my last day before I go to Brazil. So i got a few things that I really need to get done. Hopefully I'll get them done, but if I don't, I'll let you know. <laughs>